Welcome to Defend the Faith Live. Defend the Faith Live is a Perusia podcast series where we join Dr. Robert Haddad to take a look at a chapter a month of Defend the Faith, Dr. Haddad's excellent book on Catholic apologetics, with host Matthew Herman Tague. In this episode, we cover the chapter, Is There an Assurance of Salvation? Defend the Faith Live is recorded online with a live audience in Perusia world. To be part of the live online audience during these recordings and to interact in the live member-only Q&A sessions that follow, please join us in Perusia World by visiting perusiamedia.com and clicking on Perusia World for all the information on how to join. Perusia Podcast is produced in partnership with EWTN Asia Pacific and Voice of Charity Radio Australia. Hello and welcome to the Defend the Faith live podcast filmed in Perusia World with a live audience. Uh, We're back. We had a little break. You won't know that in podcast world, of course, but uh, those of you who tune in for the live will know that my home renovation got in the way of podcasting for a couple of months, but we are back. And so is our resident expert and author of the book, Defend the Faith, Dr. Robert Haddad. Dr. Robert Haddad, it is a pleasure to see you. How are you? And likewise, Matthew. And um, yeah, it's like it's almost like New Year now, aren't we? I mean, it is March, but it's New Year's for this series. And uh, I'm very excited to be back with you. And thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you are most welcome. And thank you for coming to, to share your, your knowledge and wisdom and experience. Of course, as I mentioned, we are working from the book written by Dr. Robert Haddad, uh, this excellent book on Catholic apologetics. Uh, Robert doesn't like it when I call it an excellent book, but uh, my description stands. And uh, today we are going to be discussing the chapter entitled is there an assurance of salvation i suppose robert we should start by defining what an assurance of salvation might be yeah um thank you matthew basically my interest in this chapter uh, stems remotely from the time when i was associating with baptists uh, from the age of 15 to the age of 21 that six-year period after I went to the Billy Graham Crusade. So I was associating with Christians of the evangelical slash Baptist uh, bent, and they were peculiar in their belief that if you're a true believer, if you are really a believer in Jesus Christ, then you know you are saved. And you know that if you happen to die at that moment or that night, that you'll go to heaven for sure so it's an assurance of um that you know okay once i'm a believer i've accepted jesus christ as my personal lord and savior i'm saved and that's that one-off event guarantees me not just to be a christian in this world but certainty of heaven if i die so if i'm a true christian and, and i am asked the question um do we go to heaven if you die tonight? I am supposed to answer yes. And if I can't answer yes, well, I don't have that assurance. And if I don't have that, that assurance, well, I'm, I'm not a true Christian. 
So that's the, the basis of this uh, belief. And it has various, it has certain variants to it. We'll discuss those nuances in the next hour, but that's basically the core of it. Yeah, this uh, subject is uh, particularly uh, important to me because this is so closely associated with that uh, once saved, always saved uh, doctrine of Protestantism, right? Yeah, and that's again, that's what we, the once saved, always saved, we compress it into an acronym which we pronounce as OSIS. And it, it, this again is peculiar to the Baptist slash evangelical belief system that um, no matter what happens after I accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, I am saved. And anything that happens after the, that event does not affect my salvation. And again, I remember very clearly when I first encountered this, this teaching, I, I, when I went to the Billy Graham crusade in May 1979, I didn't go alone. I went with my Baptist friend, Stephen, and we also went with two other fellows from our year group. One was, his name was Andrew, and the other one was Joseph. And we all came back, you know, in real, really happy from that event. And so we're all now new Christians committed to Jesus Christ. And Sadly, a few weeks later, maybe three weeks later or so, um, Andrew lost that initial fervor, fell away, and went into bad, back into bad habits. But my friend Stephen said to me, well, that doesn't matter, because there's somewhere in the Bible where it says that once you believe in Jesus, uh, you're saved, and no matter what happens afterwards, you go to heaven in any case. And I found that as a teenager rather peculiar. I thought, well, that's strange. I like to know where that verse is in the Bible, because it certainly would make life for me a lot easier as well. But uh, I would say now, many years later, there's no such verse when we look at each verse one by one. And, and you know, not only the verses they choose to support their teaching, but the, the other verses that would actually contradict it. Yeah, this uh, concept of once saved, always saved. And now, now that I have confessed Christ, there's no sin that I can commit that will keep me from heaven uh, is, is really so important and personal to me because I suffer with the disease of alcoholism. And I'm actually just a, a few short weeks away from 15 years of sobriety. And so I was asking myself, well, if I'm saved, what's the point in fighting for sobriety each and every day because That's often what... i'll have to i'll have to go through massive temptation and massive struggle to stay sober but if i'm saved and it doesn't matter what i do then why should i be fighting every day of my life and i and i give you and i give you two other examples that reinforce that excellent example of yours i mean there are many other ha habitual sins people suffer from um, you know, gambling addictions, uh, drug addictions, uh, sexual addictions. And again, if, you know, what, why should I um, abstain from illicit sexual activity if I'm once saved, always saved? Um, and I remember when I worked at the University of Sydney Catholic Chaplaincy, some of the Anglicans at the, at the university who are very evangelical slash are reformed in their beliefs, a mixture of evangelical and reformed beliefs. Well, one of those Anglicans that we encountered in our work was struggling with the fact that a friend of his who was once a fervent um, 
Sydney Anglican Christian had become atheist. And he was struggling with the idea of, well, is he still going to get to heaven? I mean, he, he believed, he really did once believe, um, you know, and now he's an atheist. But if osis is true, once saved, always saved. And even though he's become an atheist, or even worse, an, a, a total apostate, I mean, an atheist would be an apostate, um, you know, he's still going to go to heaven. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and you've already mentioned some of the other uh, addictions, all right, that, that apply to the same situation as me, many of which have 12-step programs. And anyone who's been through a 12-step program knows that there's a point in the steps where we have to give our will and our lives over to the care of a higher power in order to start battling our disease. So does once saved, always saved have to do away with free will then, Robert? Because it always seemed like it was my choice whether or not I picked up a drink. Well, free will comes into play here because there are certain theologies like the Reformed Calvinist and uh, the classical Lutheran theologies which would deny that we have free will. Uh, they, they exaggerate the consequences of original sin. They say we have a, that original sin destroyed us. We're totally depraved. We have a bonded will. We don't have freedom to choose and unchoose God. God elects us really from his own sovereign, uh, from his own sov sovereignty. And uh, we don't choose God so much. He chooses us. And we can't unchoose him. So there is an element of that uh, which infects these doctrines or these teachings of theirs. While we as Catholics, we maintain that despite original sin, we, we are still free. Original sin impacts our free will by inverting our love so that we love ourselves above all things. And that's the problem. But with God's grace, our wills, our intellects can be enlightened our, and our wills can be moved so that uh, our wills are operating as they should, loving the greatest good, who is God, loving our neighbour as ourselves. But even once we've made that choice, we still suffer from disordered passions and appetites um, and, and emotions, and they can drag us down again if we're not vigilant. Mm, yes. Uh, and so this is where we have to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, I imagine. And uh, as many of the Parisia World participants know, um, we've, we've done the book of Revelation several times because it is one of my favourite books. And it's in the book of Revelation that you constantly hear that it is those who persevere who will win the race, who will receive eternal life. Uh, Robert, would you tell us a little about the perseverance of the saints? Yeah, perseverance of the saints, as I said earlier, there's, there's some variance here. Um, you know, we've got osis, which is evangelical, but perseverance of the saints is really a reformed Calvinist position. It's, I, I want to give you an acronym here called TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. And this is a five-word uh, summary of classical Calvinism. T stands for total depravity. U stands for unmerited election. Uh, L stands for limited atonement. Uh, I stands for irresistible grace. And P stands for perseverance of the saints. Now, this is different than osis in the sense that one becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, um, but one cannot sin seriously after becoming a believer. And so we persevere through 
God, God's grace and that we can't sin seriously afterwards to lose our salvation. So if I have become a believer in Jesus Christ, or I think I have, and then I've sinned seriously afterwards, well, I haven't persevered. That means I was never a true Christian in the first place, according to this teaching. Um, so again, it's a, it, it involves a, a, a subtle denial of, of uh, freedom, because um, if you say that we can't sin seriously after we've become uh, you know, a follower of Jesus Christ, then somehow you're denying the reality of free will here and freedom, mm -hmm. because we are certainly still free to sin. Uh, so that's the perseverance of the saints as understood by the reformed Calvinist position. Thank you for making that clear. So clearly the, the Catholic position on, on persevering is a little different. Uh, I have heard some say that uh, if an evangelical asks us if we're saved, we can respond with, I have been saved and being saved and hope to be saved. What do you say to that, Robert? Well, that's true. It's um salvation is not a one-off event uh run and done in an instant now we have been saved a catholic if he knows his stuff or he if he or she knows their stuff should be able to answer by saying well yes i have been saved there's the objective redemption of jesus christ performed on the cross in the past that has saved all of humanity as an objective event but how do I lock into that to get the benefits of that? Well, I must come to know Jesus Christ through his grace, uh, accept him as the son of God who died and rose from the dead as savior of the world and my personal savior. Right? And I must believe that he uh, ascended to heaven, now is alive at the right hand of the father, etc., etc. And then I obey Christ. So I'm being saved in the present by having accepted Christ and then walking in Christ, walking, trying to follow him, follow his teachings in obedience to him, do good and avoid evil, obey the Ten Commandments, etc., etc. Love God above all things, love my neighbors, myself, forgive my enemies, right? That's being saved. And then I am and I will be saved. Well, that's, that's the final moment that if I have persevered in Christ, throughout my life, then when I die, um, I will be saved. That is, I will hear at my personal particular judgment the, the pronouncement of Christ that I have now, I will now enter into the glory of the Father. But persevering in the Catholic sense is not done through our own efforts and it's not done without our own effort. Okay, unlike the Calvinist position, we persevere by corresponding with God's grace. We are not Pelagians. We can't get to heaven through our own efforts, right? Or we're not semi-Pelagians either. But we, we, are, we get to heaven by working with God's grace, his prevenient grace, which comes first. And we freely work with that grace to persevere. If we know what's right, know what's wrong, if we choose to do good, choose to avoid evil, we're doing that under God's grace in response to God's grace at a, on a daily basis, minute by minute even. And that's how we persevere. I'm free to say no, but I'm always free to say yes. But I, my yes is not my own yes. My yes is in response to God's grace. Thank you very much for making that so clear, Robert. Well, 
let's turn to scripture now and uh, the great St. Paul. Uh, tell us, did St. Paul think there was an assurance of salvation? Well, I don't believe so. And even though, and I know that from, I'm reading from the Defender Faith now. Me too. This is St. Paul talking about himself. We find this in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 to 5. And I quote here. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, etc., etc. So this is classically Catholic and classically scriptural. So Paul might be asked the question, are you assured of salvation? Will you go to heaven if you die tonight? He would say, like a good Catholic, examining his own conscience, he would say, I'm not aware of anything against myself. So morally, I don't believe I've done anything seriously wrong. Morally, I believe I'm in God's grace, but I'm not thereby acquitted. That means I'm not judged by, my, by myself. I don't judge myself. Even though my conscience is telling me morally I'm okay, it's not my own judgment here that's the ultimate judge. It is the Lord who judges me. I must still undergo that personal particular judgment by Christ himself. This is what Catholics, even you know, Catholics who are not well educated or a little bit confused about their own faith, they would still say, look, I'm not sure if I'm going to go to heaven if I die tonight. They would say that because they, they know that, well, I have to be judged by God. I have to be judged by Christ. And only he can say with assurance whether I'm going to heaven or not. And then this last point here, do not pronounce judgment before the time. So if I'm going around saying, hey, if I die tonight, I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to heaven for sure. I'm actually pronouncing judgment before the time. The time when I will know for sure if I'm going to heaven or not is when I'm before Christ in my personal particular judgment and hear his pronouncement, not hear my own pronouncement of myself, about myself. Uh, so the pronouncement about myself, could we call that a sin of presumption? Well, that's what Catholics call it. Mm. And uh, uh, Protestants who adhere firmly to this uh, assurance of salvation point they want to um they reject the notion that their assurance is presumption they uh, they have they state fervently that their assurance comes from the fact that you know they have a real faith an authentic faith and that catholic if they're not sure it's because they don't have an authentic faith as i said earlier but they also are people of fear okay people who uncertain and fearful and that's not in their mind authentic christianity but we're not people of fear we're not people of presumption we're people of hope and this is what is forgotten in this controversy um, by some people maybe on the hardline side of the protestant position or or catholics who don't know their position well we're meant to be people of hope people living by faith with hope and in charity and that's why st paul would say there's faith hope and love etc not just faith alone 
Okay. Now, when in history did this uh, this false idea of um, assurance of salvation crop up? Was it with the the so called Protestant Reformation, or was it earlier? I'm not I'm not too certain about that. I don't know if pre Reformation um, individuals such as Wycliffe or Jan Hus, you know, taught such beliefs. Um, but I do know for certain it came with the Lutheran and Calvinist movements in the first decades of the Protestant Reformation. And it's uh, and the traditional classical Lutherans and Calvinists and evangelicals still adhere to it today. Um, but I think whatever they believe and why they believe it, it's really based on uh, a reading of scripture that's very selective and a reading of scripture that either ignores or is unaware of the other verses that speak to the contrary. So with this coming really to a head in the, the 16th century, I believe that the, the Council of Trent, which was uh, convened to, to um, discuss so many of these Protestant heresies, uh, had a thing or two to say on this subject as well. Yes, Robert? Yeah, we have the decree on justification, chapter 9, session 6, this was early in the history of the Council of Trent, January 1547. Um, and I'll just read you the last section here. The council said, no one can know with a certainty of faith, which cannot be subject to error, that he has obtained the grace of God. So we can have a moral certainty. We can't have an absolute certainty. It's sort of like, if you know a little bit, for example, about the life of St. Joan of Arc when she was in under trial, captured by the English, the, the, the English tried to outwit her and, and trap her in her own speech. And one question that was put to her in her trial was, are you in a state of grace? Now, the English were hoping that if she said yes for sure, then she'll be condemned for heresy. You can't know for certain that you're in a state of grace. But St. Joan of Arc knew enough to know that that was a, an attempted trap. So she said, if I am in a state of uh, grace, may God preserve me. Mm. And if I'm not, may God have mercy on me. And so that's, that's a century before the Protestant Reformation. She knew what her Catholic doctrine was here. That's the Catholic position. So if someone wants to say to me, Robert, are you in a state of grace? I can't say that with absolute certainty unless I've received a private revelation, but I can say it with some moral certainty. As St. Paul said, mm. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 5, I can examine myself. I'm not aware of anything that condemns me, right? But it's the Lord who judges me. Yeah, okay. And so this is the, the hope that you're talking about, which is the opposite to fear, where we're a people of, of hope, not of fear. And I imagine that this is the same sort of uh, thing that's going on when St. Paul is talking about finishing the race. Yeah, well, I'll give you a couple of quotes from St. Paul. Please do. Um, relating to hope. Now, I'll start with Romans 5, 1 to 5. Um, now, I'm also going to be having a look about, yes, the race. Yes. Okay, I'll give you the race one next. Here's Romans 5, 1 to 5. I'm going to just... They take extracts from this. Through him, that is Christ, we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And then he goes on to say, and character produces hope. 
And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. So a person of faith is not meant to have absolute assurance of salvation. They are meant to have the hope of salvation. And what is hope? It's really here. It's trust. It's it's not just the it's the hope of something. Yes, something relating to the future. We're hoping for heaven. So I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I want to get to heaven. I have a hope of getting to heaven. So it relates to the future, future destination. But it also pertains to the present. Um, we hope in God in the sense that we trust in God because it's only through God's graces, um, you know, His infinite power that we can walk daily in faith and charity uh, in addition to hope to reach our final destination because we can't persevere through our own strength but only through the grace of God and now that one about um, what St Paul says I'm reading here now 2 Timothy 4 7 to 8 this famous quote I have fought the good fight I've finished the race I've kept the faith Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who love his coming. So this is, um, well, what I take from this, I'm not sure if this is the quote we actually referred to. but It was, yes. Yeah. Now, he is saying here, look, I, I, I've been faithful, right? I've kept the faith. I've fought the faith. You know, the fight of I've, I've run the race. Um, now he's saying that I'm going to get the crown of righteousness. And I would say that's because he's examined his own conscience, but he also has probably a private revelation <laughs> that he will be rewarded. Christ spoke to him on many occasions, appeared to him on enough occasions, and would have told him that you know, you're going to persevere and that you'll be rewarded with the crown of righteousness. He's not being presumptuous here. Um, okay, he's, he's got a private revelation. There are other Catholic saints throughout history who received the private revelation that they would be assured of heaven. And we know St. Bernadette Subaru did, the famous seer of Lourdes. We know the three children of Fatima were told by Our Lady that they would end up going to heaven. The first two, Jacinta and Francisco, relatively quick, and Sister Lucia later on. So you can have a assurance of salvation, but based on a private revelation, sure, but not from your own judgment of yourself. Okay. So uh, what would you say then if a, an average Catholic walked up to you on the street, say myself, and said, Robert, I've been given a private revelation and I'm assured of salvation? What would you well, say I, to I me? Say, I would. I'll, I always have a healthy skepticism about people who claim private revelation. Okay? <laughs> I would say though, it is possible you could have had a private revelation. I'll be interested to hear your story, but you wouldn't get from me an absolute. You know, oh, I believe you for sure, one hundred percent. I would think, well, that was interesting. Perhaps he did hear have a private revelation. I'll leave it at that in the realm of possibility. Mm. I wouldn't deny the possibility of it happening, but I wouldn't affirm it as an absolute certainty that it did happen for you. Mm. And I imagine that's uh, one of the things St. Paul is talking about when he says test everything. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. I want to move on to uh, now to a couple of quotes you've got from uh, St. John, because I think this is really going to, to help us get at this idea of having a moral certainty. Uh, would you like me to read these out or are you going to read them? Yes. Uh, where, where do you have it? What page? So we're on page 58 of the book. And that is a oh, good yes. reminder to all of our listeners and participants that this podcast is an accompaniment to this book. So go to the Perusia website and pick up, pick up a copy of this. This is your text for study. And this podcast is an accompaniment. So on page 58, we've got First uh, John 3.10. Uh, but this... By this may be seen who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not do right is not of God, nor he who does not love his brother. And then 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So is this is John talking about what you're talking about here that that we can have a moral certainty and it's not well I think I'm a good person therefore I I can be reasonably certain I'm going to heaven but rather if we're judging ourselves against an objective moral code we may or may not have some assurance. Yeah and this relates to what we call confidence. If you have a you can you meant to judge your conscience and you got to use a certain criteria and normally the Ten Commandments, the teachings of Christ, etc. Here St. John is talking about loving God, loving your neighbor, loving your brother. And he's outlining these as criteria for us to use to determine if we're in right standing with God or not. And if we make that personal judgment of ourselves, yeah, I love God. I'm I'm in good standing with my neighbor and my brother at the moment, then I can have uh, a moral certainty, not an absolute certainty. And that can be a very strong moral certainty. I can have confidence. Uh, I can be justifiably confident that I'm in, you know, good standing with God and on the road of salvation. And we're meant to have uh, moral certainty. We're meant to have confidence stemming out of hope. Uh, we're not people, we should not be people who have faith, but have a morbid fear, uh, you know, trembling all the time. I know St. Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That means, you know, in the struggle against temptation and the fear of falling, but we can't be always in this rut of fear. And we're, we as Catholics are accused sometimes of being people of fear. And if we are simply people of fear, then there's an imbalance there. So we must move to be people of faith and hope. And that's we're meant to be happy, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, as difficult as that can be. Yeah, excellent. Um, now let's turn uh, back to the, the, the Protestant doctrines. Uh, we've already discussed uh, some uh, scripture passages which certainly support the, the Catholic view. Are there any scripture passages uh, that um, speak against the Protestant view of assurance of salvation or once saved, always saved? Well, actually, there are many, and this is why I'm surprised that there are Bible-believing Christians who still cite, for the pun, persevere in believing in perseverance <laughs> of the saints, okay, or hold the osis mindset. Now, I'm going to go through a number of these verses, and I think when I read them, um, it'll be self-evident. 
Here's Romans 11, 20 to 22, St. Paul. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So it's clear there that we can be a Christian, and if we don't persevere in that, we will be cut off. So you can lose, you can fail to persevere, and if you fail to persevere, you will be cut off. So there we go. This verse debunks both perseverance of the saints and osis. Then we've got the famous 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. I pommel my body and subdue it. This is St. Paul talking about himself. You know, this is Lent. This is good old-fashioned penance here. I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. All right? So he's saying there that, you know, I'm a believer in Christ, but, you know, I still suffer temptation, and I have to resist those temptations. And if I don't, I will be disqualified. What does disqualified mean? Not from the ministry of being an apostle, but from salvation. Uh, we've got Galatians 5, 1 to 4. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So he's talking to the Galatians who have been seduced into believing by other teachers that they need circumcision for salvation. Christians who have now accepted a, a false teaching. So Paul is saying, you have fallen away from grace, which means you've fallen away from Christ. You've fallen away from the road of salvation. Again, it's, you know, nothing there about perseverance if you've fallen away. Um, and from grace, well, you know, how can you claim you're still saved if you've fallen from grace? Um, Philippians 2.12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my absence, but much more in my, sorry, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why should we work out our salvation in fear and trembling if salvation is a one-off event according to Osis? And why should I be fearful and trembling if I'm guaranteed a perseverance? We should be um, fearful of falling uh, and we should be trembling of the consequences of falling because if we don't persevere by working with God's grace on a daily basis, we shall be lost. That's why we need to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. What other verses we've got there? I've got two more. This is one of my favorite ones because I can remember it easily. 1 Timothy 1, Timothy 1 19 to 20. By, St. Paul says here, by rejecting conscience, certain persons have made shipwreck of their faith. Hmm. Among them, Hymenus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So they've made shipwreck of the faith. They're, they're, they're guilty of blasphemy. Mm. Paul is saying here, he's given two examples of persons who have shipwrecked in the faith because they've adopted false doctrines. Um, mm. How could you be shipwrecked unless you're first in the ship? So they are believers. They're in the ship. 
They're believers. Now they're shipwrecked. So their their faith has been ruined and they're not on the road of salvation anymore. They've been made over to Satan. So how can they still be saved if they've been delivered to Satan? Uh, They need to come back if they're going to be saved ultimately. And the last one, Hebrews 10, 22, 27, another favorite of mine because it's a very tough verse here. For if we sin deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment and a fiery fire which will consume the adversary. Now, how clear is that? You, you have received the knowledge of the truth. If you sin afterwards, you're going to suffer judgment, fury of fire that will consume us. I mean, it's clear as day. It's a, you know, it's a, a hard one to twist, isn't it? That one, yeah. a very hard one to twist. Yeah. yeah. Perseverance is not guaranteed uh, mm. through a one-off act. And, you know, if you do sin after coming to believing in Christ, you're going to suffer hellfire. Okay. <laughs> you, unless you repent beforehand. Okay. Mm. Uh, did uh, the Council of Trent have anything to say on this subject of uh, perseverance, Robert? Um. Where are we? Let me, you know what? I, I don't have assurance of knowing my own book, let alone assurance <laughs> of salvation. Council of Trent. Um, it's on page 63, I believe. There you go. There you go. <laughs> okay. Persevering. What did the Council of Trent say? Now, what decree is this? Decree on justification, chapter 15, session 6. Um. In opposition also to the subtle wits of certain men who, by pleasing speeches and good words, seduce the hearts of the innocent, it is to be maintained that the received grace of justification is lost, not only by infidelity, whereby even faith itself is lost, but also by any other mortal sin, whatever, though faith be not lost. So, yeah, it's clear. Um, and it's interesting, subtle wits of certain men doesn't name Luther, Calvin, or any of their adherents, but mm. obviously refers to them. Uh, so you can lose, you can lose uh, grace that you obtain through initial justification. It can be lost by subsequent mortal sin. Yeah, and this is relating to the uh, the sins that John talks about, isn't it? Where there are some sins that are deadly and some that are not deadly. Yes, well, why would sins be deadly mm, unless yes. they cause spiritual death? And by the way, that's another great quote to distinguish between, you know, the, to support the Catholic teaching about venial and mortal sin. Another mm. Calvinist error is, you know, sin is sin. All mm. sin is equal. Mm. You know, they're all sinners equal. Why would Jesus say, take the log out of your own eye before you try to take the splinter out of your brother's eye? Mm. A log is a lot bigger than a splinter. Not mm. all sins are the same in degree. Common sense tells us that. Mm. 
All right. So you've uh, you've given us a little definition uh, just to, to round out this uh, this on um, page uh, 62, which is really uh, defining this once saved, always saved um, by many evangelicals, which I'm happy to read now. Uh, and so this idea is we constantly remain justified or right with God throughout our Christian walk, regardless of how we happen to be going at the time. It's a bit like being married. Some days I'm a great husband and some days I'm not but I am not more married on some days than on others. I'm always married because of the complete change in relationship and status that happened at the beginning at the wedding. But you've shown us here, Robert, clearly from so many Bible passages that this idea is not uh, in fact true and it's certainly not Catholic. So describe for us um, how the, the, the true path might look. Well, let me just respond to the quote you've just sure. read, because this is from a book that was distributed by the Sydney Anglicans uh, from 2007 onwards, written by an ex-Catholic named Ray Galea, who's now a minister in the Sydney Anglican Church. And my response to this, to, to Ray Galea, is that he doesn't understand or realise that marriages can end in divorce. Mm. You know, of course, when we're married, we have our good days and our bad days, and we're still married, right? But there are marriages who end up in divorce because of serious disputes, conflicts, breakdowns, etc. And, you know, a venial sin doesn't break our relationship with God. Neither does little, you know, tiffs between husband and wife end the marriage, but we can divorce ourselves from God through a mortal sin in the same way that the husband and wife can be divorced. So the analogy used here, sorry, is not, not sufficient. But um, back to your question, if you just want to remind me, sorry. Um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just trying yeah. to juxtapose the, the, this Protestant idea that, um, that salvation is a one-time event and then no matter what happens afterwards, um, we're saved. Uh, they seem to separate uh, justification and sanctification into two completely different camps. But as I understand it, the, the Catholic understanding, the Catholic, um, the, the, the true belief is that both justification and salvation can increase but also be lost. And so mm. the path of the Catholic is a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, it's a journey. Mm. Um, it's, I don't like to call it a process. Sometimes mm. when Protestants critique the Catholic position, they call it a process, um, as if you're only in God's grace at the end of the process. But it's a journey. Mm. And it begins with... Okay, let's talk about adults, all right? You come, you convert, God, God has worked on you, enlighten your intellect, move your will. You said, yes, I believe in God now. I believe in Jesus. Uh, I want to follow Jesus. What do I do? Okay, you find Jesus, founded a church. I want to belong to that church. He said you must enter into that community through baptism. You know, I, I get baptized and I I'm now have begun my faith journey. I'm in grace then. I'm saved then, right? When I'm baptised, you know, uh, I'm forgiven of all sin, original sin and all actual sins I've committed up to that moment and all the punishment due to sin. If I was to die immediately after baptism, well, I, that's most, 
I should go straight to heaven. I wouldn't even have any, any temporal punishment. But that's the beginning of the journey uh, that we must walk on. And we don't know how long that journey will be. It could be many decades. You could live 60, 70, 80 years after your initial conversion. And you're walking in grace. And you're walking daily in grace. And God's working on you every moment to give you all the graces you need to be saved. And you're freely corresponding with that grace. But the devil's still out there working, working to pull you down, working to tempt you, working to cause you to sin, whereby you can be damaged in this journey, even pulled off the road, have a severe crash, mortal sin. But again, in this race of life, we have the pit stopped. We have the sacrament of penance, reconciliation. We go back to confession, confess our sins sincerely, do the penance. We're restored to grace. We're back on the road of, of salvation again. And that's the Christian life. It's not a process as such. It's a journey. And when we get to the end of our life, we have another sacrament there of, of um, the morning of the sick to strengthen us, to bring us peace, to forgive us our sins, to ward off the last attacks of the devil together and with holy communion as viaticum to get us over the threshold into the next life um that's the that's the authentic christian life do good and avoid evil the daily struggle work out your salvation in fear and trembling okay uh but living in as people of faith living in hope and love that sums it up it's as simple as that that is the gospel that that sums up the teachings of saint paul as well uh, hallelujah and uh, this is right back to to free will again isn't it so we receive grace from god but it's our cooperation with that grace that causes us to increase in sanctification and justification in uh his awesome book on salvation michael barber also talks about grace as being a gift and in the ancient world apparently when you gave a gift there was an expectation that a gift would be returned and there were really, um, you know, quite uh, intricate uh, social rules uh, that would determine uh, how much a gift would cost, particularly when someone richer uh, was receiving a gift, uh, was giving a gift to someone poorer, for instance. And so when the ancients talk about grace being a gift, they talk about it really in being something that is reciprocated. And that's what we're talking about here, right, Robert? Yeah, so I just want to also develop a point that you made we grow in grace with perseverance of the saints with the when we understand the whole protestant system the classical protestant system when you're justified you receive the merits of christ which is the same for everybody um you and because you can't do good works which are meritorious then you can't increase in grace so everyone in heaven, according to classical Protestantism, must be in the, the same level of glory, the mm -hmm. same reward. But in the Catholic position, because we, can, we, are, we are free and we are free throughout our spiritual journey and we can be, have different degrees of, of generosity in how we respond to God's grace, some 30, some 60, some 100, that we freely... Some people freely do more good works and grace than others. So part of the justification journey is that some people grow more in justification than others. And 
What do we mean by growing in justification? It's growing in sanctification, growing in greater grace. And when you die, those who did more for God get a greater reward, a greater glory in heaven. And that's something distinctively Catholic uh, in contrast to classical Protestant positions. It all, we, our last topic I think we did was the meritorious uh, value of works. Correct. Okay? It all comes together. They're yeah. both systems. Catholicism and classical Protestant, Protestantism are both systems. Okay. And a false premise leads to other false beliefs and a good, authentic, orthodox premise. Of course, we can build a great orthodox system on top of that Catholic orthodox system. Mm. And so here we are, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And Robert, you've even given us some uh, scripture passages to back up those three statements, haven't you, in the book, on page uh, 66. Yeah, we have been saved. Now that's from Romans 8.24. We've got this quote, for in this hope we were saved. So St. Paul's referring to the crucifixion of Christ, Mm -hmm. past tense. Okay, we are being saved. So 1 Corinthians 1.18, St. Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So how is being saved in contrast to have been saved or were saved because we were saved objectively by Christ. We are being saved subjectively as individuals walking in God's grace as believers. And we are being saved by persevering under God's grace. Then we got, we will be saved. Uh, Mark 16, 16, our Lord says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And actually apostles, chapter 15 verse 11 but we believe that we shall be saved through the grace of the lord jesus just as they will we shall be saved if we persevere and from st paul just one other quote here from st paul um romans 13 11 besides this you know what hour it is how it is full time now for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed how salvation nearer to us now than when we first believed is because day by day we're getting closer to death and day by day we're getting closer to judgment and if we died in grace day by day we're getting closer to that judgment that admits us to uh, eternal life um we're not nearer to salvation if um but objectively, because that's been done in the past, we're not nearer to salvation um, if uh, we're currently working in, in today in grace, but we're nearer to salvation if we're work, walking with a view to the future, uh, you know, persevering in the future to reach mm. our final destination. Mm. Fantastic. So it is only those who persevere in Christ and I think you'd like to finish off with uh, Matthew 10:22 Robert. Well this this is a classic. 
Mm. I mean, if I had nothing else to say tonight and quoted no other verses tonight, all I need to do is quote our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Mm. So we've got to endure to the end. So going back to what I said at the beginning, back in those days, 1979, went to the Billy Graham crusade, myself, Stephen, Andrew, Joseph, and Andrew, you know, after a few weeks, gave up on it. My friend Stephen said, no, there's somewhere in the Bible which says that, and he's still going to go to heaven nevertheless. I've never found that verse, mm. right? And this verse tells us that if we don't persevere, if only he who endures to the end, walking in grace, doing good and avoiding evil, persevering through the constant grace that God gives us, not because of a one-off event in the past. Only those who endure to the end will be saved. So if I fall off the road, the journey to salvation, if I become an apostate and I die an apostate, it doesn't matter if I was once a believer. I will not be saved if I died an apostate simple as that so there you have it now robert you've also given us some uh, quotes from the church fathers on this particular subject is there anything any of those uh, church father quotes you'd like to point out to us starting on page 67 right okay i've i'm going to give you the last one st augustine of hippo on nature and grace so I forgot what he says here, but I did highlight it. So it must be worthwhile. I mean, anything, most of what St. Augustine said, obviously, the vast majority is very worthwhile. He says the following. Indeed. It is indeed to be wondered at and greatly to be wondered at that to some of his own children whom he has regenerated in Christ, to whom he has given faith, hope and love, God does not give perseverance also. Hmm. So St. Paul, St. Augustine obviously knew of Christians who, or knew of people who were regenerated in Christ, meaning they were baptized, and presumably as adults. And they had faith, hope, and love, but they didn't persevere in that. They fell away. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, St. Augustine is not saying, oh, they were never Christians. Because Calvinists would say that they are never true Christians in the first place because the fact that they didn't persevere is evidence that they are never in Christ in the first place. But common sense and experience tells us otherwise, you know. I mean, you look at someone, let's look at a friend of ours named Scott Hahn, right? He was a Presbyterian minister. I've, I've never met him, though I hope to one day. Now, he, as a Presbyterian minister, I presume would have believed in the tulip acronym and perseverance of the saints. He has now become Catholic. To hardline Presbyterians or Reformed Calvinists, he has now fallen off. If he dies a Catholic, he will be damned, right? And... They would have to say, well, because he didn't persevere as a true Christian, that is, as a Calvinist, then he was never really one in the first place. Mm. But if you talk to Scott Hahn, he would tell you that he was a fervent Christian and a fervent Presbyterian and a fervent 
Calvinist. And he was the fervent anti-Catholic. And he handed out Lorraine Bettner's Catholicism to one weak Catholic after another. And he was a studied in a Calvinist seminary. And he became a Presbyterian minister. And he lived and taught and preached as a Presbyterian minister. And he married his wife in the Presbyterian church. How could anyone say with any credibility that he was never a Calvinist Presbyterian Christian in the first place? Indeed. <laughs> it's a very good example. Well, thank you, Robert. I think uh, what I'll do now is just to close us off is to read the two quotes from the catechism that you've got. The first from the Roman Catechism produced by the, the Council of Trent, of course. Quote, distrusting our own strength, we thus throw ourselves unreservedly upon the goodness of God, not doubting that he who cherishes us in the bosom of his paternal wondrous love will afford us in abundance whatever is necessary for life and salvation, end quote. And uh, now paragraph 1821 from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We can therefore hope in the glory of heaven promised by God to those who love him and do his will. In every circumstance, every one of us should hope with the grace of God to persevere to the end and to obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ. In hope, the church prays all men to be saved. She longs to be united with Christ, her bridegroom in the glory of heaven. Hope, almost my soul hope. You know neither the day nor the hour. Watch carefully for everything passes quickly even though your impatience makes doubtful what is certain and turns a very short time into a long one. Dream that the more you struggle, the more you prove the love that you bear your God and the more you will rejoice one day with your beloved in a happiness and rapture that can never end. A beautiful note to finish on. And uh, Dr. Robert Haddad, thank you so much for giving us your time this evening. Oh, you're welcome, Matthew. Thank you for hosting this program. Thank you to our audience who joined us tonight, uh, and God bless. And uh, I'm hoping you might be able to hang around for a few minutes because I'm sure our live audience would love to say a quick hello and ask some questions. Can you hang around for a bit? Uh, I will persevere. <laughs> Very good. All right. So next month, uh, again, uh, the, the third Tuesday of the month uh, is the, the day that we're now uh, meeting for Defend the Faith Live. And we're going to be talking about the necessity of baptism. But until then, that is enough from us. So I hope you all have a blessed Lent and we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening to the Perusia podcast. If you've enjoyed these podcasts, please share with your family and friends. And for more information about everything Perusia, please visit our website at perusiamedia.com.